0: Matthew 28 16 to 20 Matthew chapter 28 verses 16 to 20 then the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go when they saw him they worshipped him but some doubted then Jesus came to them and said Simon says, "Put your hands on your head." <laughs> you know the game, right? It's a really simple game that kids like to play. Perhaps in your native language, it's a different name, but it's the same idea. Right? The leader would line up all the players and perhaps in a straight line, and would begin giving them simple instructions. You know, Simon says, touch your toes. Simon says, jump up and down. And those playing must perform the task if Simon says it. But if the leader leaves off the phrase, Simon says, then players are to ignore the request, stand still, look at the ground, ignore it. Well, after giving a few commands from Simon, the one leading the game would try to trick everyone. Right, And it's so embarrassing if you mess up, right? Because it's the easiest game in the world. Just listen to see if Simon says it. Well, I watched a video this week that made me reflect on how in the church, Jesus says is a totally different game. So we acknowledge what Jesus says, but oftentimes we in the church, instead of doing it, We merely study it. We memorize it. Or perhaps we neglect it altogether. See, in the Bible, Jesus gives us command after command love the Lord with all of your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. Store up treasures in heaven. Rejoice and be glad. Seek first the kingdom of heaven. Make disciples. See, we know these commands. We've memorized them if we've been in the church for a while. We hear them in sermons. But how many of us are actually doing them? See, when I tell my daughter Eliza, we do this on a daily basis, when we tell her to put away her toys and clean her room, my little three-year-old doesn't come back to me 20 minutes later and say, Dad, I memorized what you said. Go clean up my toys. She doesn't tell me now I'm gathering all my friends from the neighborhood to sit at the dining room table and we're going to talk about how I should clean up my toys. She doesn't do that. See, even my three-year-old daughter, Eliza, knows that when I command her to do something, she's to go perform the action I requested. So as Christians, as Christians, when we stand before Christ one day, when we come before the righteous judge, will he care if we can recite scripture back to him? Will he care if we know his commands and can recite data about him? Those are good things. But will he care more that we were obedient to him And showed our love for him. See, Jesus says it's not a game. No, when Jesus commands us to do something, it's the Son of God who's commanding us, who's telling us what we ought to be doing. So we need to take his commands with the utmost seriousness. So this morning, we want to close out our three-week series on the gospel by looking at the last command Jesus ever gives in the Bible. It's the command to unleash the gospel to the world. So if you haven't already, please turn to Matthew chapter 28. It's the first book of the New Testament, about two-thirds the way through your Bible. And this morning we'll be looking at the final five verses of this book. But before we do, it's important that we understand the context of this command. We need to know what's, what's been happening right before it. If we were to read the book of Matthew, it traces the theme of a kingdom and presents Jesus as the king. However, at the end of the book, this would-be king, this would-be conqueror is killed. He's crucified and his disciples, his friends, his family are confused They're crushed. But Matthew shows us that that's not the end of the story. That on the third day after his death, Christ's tomb was found empty. Hundreds saw the risen Christ. Women saw him. Children saw him. His disciples saw him after being raised from the dead. Even a tomb guarded by the finest of soldiers, wasn't enough to keep Christ in the grave. He was the Son of God, raised from the dead, and His resurrection proved that He was indeed the King. And yet in verse 17, in the beginning of our passage, right after the resurrection, Jesus got His disciples together, and it says some of them doubted. Now the word for doubt here is not the normal word we would use for doubt, it's not that they were unsure whether they believed or not. Rather, it's that they believed but hesitated. See, they had not quite digested yet what had happened. Perhaps you could relate in that situation. The disciples were, were with Jesus. And then almost instantly, he's killed. He's crucified. And then three days later, now he's alive again. You can imagine the emotional roller coaster. Their world was changed. So it wasn't that they doubted. See, we know that they believed because they would later die for their faith in Christ. Many were even crucified. Earlier reports say Peter, Peter the one who denied Christ three times, just days before. Peter was now the head of the church and reports say that he was not only killed for his faith, but he was crucified. Not only was he crucified, but he was crucified upside down. He didn't consider himself worthy enough to die in the same way that Jesus died. See, these illiterate fishermen were now risking their lives to change the world. They went on a mission to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. And the book of Acts tells us that the early church exploded. On some days in the early church, and I would have loved to be there, thousands were added on a single day. Dave, talk about church membership issues. (laughs) Bring it in thousands. Thousands in one day. But the church just grew. These disciples were on a mission. If you're new to the church, as Brian said, we're so glad you're here. Perhaps this is maybe even your first time here in the church, and I need to tell you that Christ's death And resurrection had a purpose. It was to bring God glory. And it was to save us from our sin. See, friends, this is the gospel we've been talking about the last three weeks. It's that the loving creator of the universe looked on us, hopelessly sinful people. And he sent his son, Jesus, God in the flesh, to bear his wrath on the cross and to show his power over sin in the resurrection, so that all who trust in him would be reconciled to God forever. Friends, if you haven't believed in Christ, I urge you to do it today. This is the greatest news in the world. Turn to him. The Bible says that you're not saved by walking down an aisle or raising your hand or filling out a card or any good works or baptism. No, the Bible says that our hope comes from someone outside of ourselves. From Christ. He's the answer to our deepest struggle. The Bible says that one must repent and believe in Christ, period, to be saved. So I encourage you to do that today. Please come talk to me afterwards. If you've made that decision, we'd love to talk to you and help you get connected in the church. Well, how about you fellow Christians, our brothers and sisters in Christ? What difference does the death and resurrection of Jesus really make on your daily lives? If the resurrection happened, then what are we to be doing If Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who is seated at the right hand of the Father and is waiting to come back and set up his kingdom on the new earth, what's our task right now? Well, verses 18 through 20 form Christ's last command, often called the Great Commission. And we see that the disciples and us, the church, are given one task here. And it's to make disciples. If you're taking notes this morning, that's the, that's the outline. Just one point today. Make disciples. Look at verse 19. Therefore. Let's stop there for a minute. Seems like a good place to take a break. Good place to stop. Now, the word therefore is one of the most important words in the Bible. When you see it, you always want to look back at what just took place. See, what Jesus is saying is, because of what I've already said, what I'm about to say can be made possible. Look back at verse 18. Jesus is saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. See, before he even gets to the command, do you see what Jesus is claiming here? What Jesus is saying is he has authority over every atom, every electron, proton, and neutron on this earth. He has authority over every bacteria and cancer cell, over every nerve disorder and backache. He has authority over every part of the human body, every beat of your heart, every breath that you take. Have you thought about that lately, that Jesus is sustaining your life every minute of every day. He's saying here that he has authority over the Himalayan mountains and can move them in an instant. He has authority over every drop of rain that falls from the sky and every flood that covers the earth, over every monsoon, every earthquake, over every star in our galaxy. He's over every king, every president, over all armies, all crime, all violence, over Satan, and all the demons. He has authority over all families, all neighborhoods, and every church. Over every soul, every minute of our lives. He's saying that he has the right and power to do as he pleases. The scope and the magnitude of the authority of Jesus is infinite. It's all the heavens, all the earth. What he's saying is, I have control over everything. And so because all authority has been given to Christ, then, because Christ is in total control, then, because Christ has authority over heaven and earth, then, verse 19, then go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. The Great Commission. We see several things here. There's actually only one imperative in this verse, and then several other things that describe the process. The imperative is to make disciples. It's important to note that the Great Commission is not simply just to tell people about Jesus or to preach the gospel or to grow your church. It's to see New believers become mature believers. That's what it means to make disciples. Unless we think it's our strength to do this, that's why Jesus wanted to be clear that the authority was his. And in other places in the Bible, we see that God changes hearts, but we are to preach the good news. And the text gives us three ways to go about the Great Commission, three ways to go about making disciples, and I wish we could do several sermons on these. But let me just mention the second and third one quickly, and then we'll spend the majority of our time in the first way. The second thing mentioned is baptizing. We place a big priority on baptism at Redeemer because it's one of the two sacraments of the church, and it's commanded of all believers to be baptized after believing in Christ. It's an important part of making disciples because it's the action whereby a Christian publicly confesses before the world that it is only by the grace of God that they're saved. It's an outward display of an inward reality, identifying the person with Christ in a vivid picture of the gospel. So if you've come to believe in Christ and identify with him in his life and death, I'd encourage you to get baptized, to meet with Lenny Mathiah even today in preparation for our October 15th service. Well, the third thing mentioned, if you look there at the passage, is teaching. So baptizing, teaching. The word translated here, uh, everything, before teaching, is actually two phrases. All things and as much as. The wording there intensifies the command. Jesus is saying that we must teach potential disciples every last thing, Jesus says which is a big task, to say the least. So baptizing and teaching. But I want to focus today on the first way we make disciples. It's the first part of the Great Commission. It's translated one word, go. Perhaps it's better translated, going. But to make disciples, we first must be going. We first must go. Now churches all around the world are trying to be faithful to this command to go by going to an area Christian leaders call the 1040 window. Are you familiar with the 1040 window? It's the region in the eastern hemisphere located between 10 degrees and 40 degrees north of the equator. The 1040 window has become a target for ministry among churches around the earth because it's the central place of most of the world's religions. It's home to 3 billion people. 40 million North African Berbers, 40 million West Africans, 800 million Northern Chinese, and 60 million right here on our peninsula, most of whom have never even heard the name Jesus Christ. And while those numbers are staggering and even sobering, Here's the exciting part. Are you ready? Here's the exciting part. Dubai is not only in the 1040 window. It's right in the center of it. We live in the heart of perhaps the most strategic location for ministry in the entire world. Did you know that? That's the good news today is you don't have to pack your bags after the service. You're there. Whether you meant to or not, you went. Churches around the world are trying to raise money and convince people to come here. You're here. I'm so grateful for you. And it's a fact. Here's the fact. The fact is that God did not bring you here by accident. It wasn't a job that brought you here. It wasn't school that brought you here. It wasn't money that brought you here. Ultimately, it was the sovereign God of the universe who brought you here. And he planned it from way before you were even born. But there's a second element to going. We've all done the first step. The second element is that it's not just being somewhere, it's actually engaging with the people. The first part of the Great Commission it's to share the gospel. It's to proclaim the words of Jesus Christ. As we saw a few weeks ago in our study of John 17, we saw that we are not to withdraw from the world. We are not to conform to the world, but we are to go out into the world. We are in the world, but not of the world. So we don't seek retreat to leave the world But instead, Jesus called us radically into himself so that he could send us radically out into the world. We were saved to be sent. So my friends, let's not waste our time here in the UAE. Most of us will leave this country at some point. So don't waste it. Don't see this as a parenthesis in your spiritual life or a parenthesis in your ministry involvement meaning that your real involvement is back home, in your home church, in your home country. Friends, you may never be in such a strategic place ever again. Proclaim Christ. Make that your mission. Well, Just to get some ideas rolling, things that I thought of this week that we might do as a church, one would be to invite friends to church. As we mentioned earlier, we move to two services next week for the sole reason of reaching more people for Christ in this strategic location. That's it. That's the reason. So invite your friends, invite your co workers, your neighbors, those you've built a relationship with, and bring them. Meet them outside, walk them in, introduce them to us, reach out into your spheres of influence. Well, also, you might also find some connection to the community. Do something you love. Get to know folks and share Christ with them. If you'd like to run, join the Murdiff Milers Running Club. Get together with new mothers who live in your building and tell them about the love of Christ. Invite people over for a party to watch rugby, to watch cricket, or any of the events during the Commonwealth Games in Delhi, India that start up in two weeks. Pick up a Two Ways to Live booklet on your way out today. We have hundreds of them. It's a great booklet that details the gospel in a few simple pages. It would be helpful for you to memorize it, maybe even put it in your wallet or purse so you can be ready in a moment's notice to walk someone through the truths of the gospel. Share Jesus with people you exercise with at Fitness First. Start a Bible study at your schools. Invite your friends to come. And perhaps even bake something and bring it over to your neighbor's. Not only will you meet some neighbors, but you're almost guaranteed that they'll send something back that's delicious on your plate. (laughs) There are endless opportunities here in the UAE to reach out to our friends, displaying Christ and sharing the good news. So while you're here, don't settle. Don't settle for the lie of Dubai. You're not here to make money. If that's why you came... that's why you came, know that God is greater than all the money in the world. Because God owns the money. He controls it. And what he has waiting for us in heaven will make the riches of this world look like our garbage here on this earth. The gospel sets us free from working for wages because we now run for a crown. Well, perhaps you're a student here whether you're 11 or 21, I encourage you, don't waste your opportunities. Proclaim Jesus. Honoring Jesus is more important than anything you can do. It's more important than your popularity in school. See, fame and popularity ultimately mean nothing. Because if you're popular in your school, you're only known by human nobodies. But if the greatest king knows you, if the greatest king knows you, then that's a popularity of a totally different kind. Your deepest comfort comes not from what others think about you, but knowing what God thinks of you in Christ Jesus. So if you're a student, let it be the Christians in your school who are reaching out and talking to the unpopular kids during your lunch hour. Let it be Christians that are sharing the message of hope to students that are alone, students that are hurting. Let it be Christians in your schools who are standing up for what is right. And let us all as a church be on the lookout for opportunities to share the gospel. I was reminded of this this past month. What if each of us were just intentional, even in our daily activities, just our normal things. And I noticed this on my latest trip to the vehicle registration place. I went with Brian Washam a couple weeks ago. And now there are some places that I don't like to go to. Well, the vehicle registration place, I dread going to. I dread it. I've had some terrible experiences, some long lines. Well, in reality, I thought of myself this past time, and in reality, I'm a pastor. But when I step through those doors, I think I turn into Godzilla. I turn into a man that just wants to get things done and is willing to stomp on people to get it done. I don't know if you find yourself turning into Godzilla in certain situations. Well, the vehicle registration place does that to me. And on this particular day, Brian and I were there. I wanted to get in and out as fast as I could. But, in the line helping me was one particular man who seemed especially joyful and he was happy i wasn't so happy but he was happy here doing ramadan just happy to see me and soon he began talking about my vehicle and he started showing me pictures on his on his phone pictures of his desert safaris with all of his buddies he was showing me pictures of his friends and naming them by name i'm just thinking hurry up get get the application done But he's just engaging me, and then he invited me to come with him, even that night, to go to the desert so I can meet his friends. And I was reminded after I went home that day that I was thankful that we made a new friend. But in reality, he had been intentional to befriend me. I was reminded how many opportunities are right there in front of us? Right there in the places that we go every day. If we would just engage with those around us. What if we we as a church prayed before our task and saw them not as inconveniences, but as opportunities to proclaim Christ? What if we prayed before our next class, our next meeting at work, Our next interaction with our neighbor, and prayed and asked that God would use us to share Christ with them. So, what's it going to be for us here in the UAE? We're here, we've gone, we've taken that first step, whether we knew it or not. See, if Jesus was just a man, if he was just a man, then this is just nice advice. But if Jesus is who he says he is, then the gospel is a history-changing event that changes everything, and we have to respond to it. When we don't share the gospel, we are ignoring who Christ is and his authority over heaven and earth. When we don't share it, we disobey the sovereign king of the universe. It's like saying, I found the cure for cancer. I've worked hard all my life. I figured it out. I've discovered it. I have the, the recipe, the prescription to cure this deadly disease, but I'm gonna keep it to myself. I'm maybe let my family have some of it, but I'm gonna hide it. That would be the most that would be the most cruel and unloving thing you could do. See if we understand the gospel and we rehearse it to ourselves. The only outcome is the gospel unleashed to the world. It should cause us to speak of Jesus everywhere we go. Because we know not the cure for physical death, but we know the cure for eternal death. It's believing in the gospel. It's believing in Christ. The gospel is a word It's Christ's death for sin and salvation through faith. So when we go out into the world, we make it a priority that we say it. I think oftentimes the gospel is confused to mean good works or just witnessing, being a good person. Those things are not the gospel. They adorn the gospel. They perhaps make it look better, but the gospel is a word. And so our mission as a church is to preach that word to an unbelieving world. We are called to always be ready on mission. Well, in conclusion, there's the commission. In conclusion, not only does Jesus have authority as we serve in the task, but look at this. He tells us that he's always with us. Do you see that in the last part of verse 20? And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Matthew tells us that Jesus himself will comfort us. And every day until the end of the age, Christ is with you. We could go on for a lifetime try to unpack that truth. It would take a lifetime to meditate on that truth that Jesus is with us. What he's saying is Christ is the happy ending to the story of the world. He will wipe away every tear. He will make everything right. And until then, until that day, his last command to us is to make disciples. So here's the question that I want to leave each of us with this morning. It's a convicting one that I wrestled over this week and realized that I have failed in it. Here's the question. If everyone at Redeemer Church of Dubai was engaged in evangelism the way I am, how would we be doing as a church if everyone was engaged in sharing the gospel in the same way I am, would we be sharing the gospel at all? So brothers and sisters, God has brought us here to be on mission together. Let's risk everything to reach everyone. Let this be our all-consuming passion Let's be a church that risks everything to reach the world for Christ. Well, Charles Spurgeon, well-known for his proclamation of the gospel, tells a story that I remember often and like to share often. He once challenged his church by telling his people to imagine if a great king were to bring a big pile of gold to them and told them that they would be allowed to take as much gold as they could over a 24-hour period as long as they could count each piece. He said to his congregation, what if this happened to you? If this happened to you, surely you would take a day off work. You would stay up all night for 24 hours straight. You would drink coffee after coffee to concentrate and make sure every second was accounted for in counting those pieces of gold. Everything else would be secondary on that day. And then Spurgeon looked his congregation in the eye and said, Winning souls is far nobler work. How is it that we quit so soon? As we go forward this morning, Redeemer Church, let's worship the sovereign king of the universe who has been given all authority in heaven and earth And let's be obedient to Christ's command as we go make disciples. Let us go in comfort, strength, and the grace of his presence. Let's pray and ask for his mighty hand to be on us in doing this task. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we confess today that our hope is not in our relationships because they will fail us. Our hope is not in our health because our bodies will fail us. Our hope is not even in our marriages because our spouses can't supply us with all of our needs. Our hope is not in our jobs, not in our possessions. Oh, Father, our hope is in Christ Jesus alone alone. He has all the authority. He owns everything. Father, help us to be consumed with a passion for you. Give us the grace and faith we need to be obedient to you and use us here in the UAE that we would see a movement of the gospel here so incredible that a multitude of people would be saved and dozens and dozens of churches would be planted here in the UAE and in the Ten 40 window. Father, use us. Give us boldness to proclaim Christ each and every day. We pray all these things in the mighty name of Christ. Amen.